Let's pray. Lord, thank you um, for your abundant provision. Um, Lord, this week, many of us uh, in this room uh, faced the anxiety and the stress regarding losing potentially our homes. And Lord, certainly there are many in our community that did indeed lose their homes this week, and we just want to offer a prayer for them. That, Lord, you are just as faithful in the midst of tragedy as you are in times of blessing. So, Lord, we just ask that you draw near to them in a new way, that you'd reveal your love to them in, a, in abundance, that you would surround them with your people, and that they would be provided for and cared for in just sweet ways. And Lord, we do thank you for the protection of the homes that weren't lost, including many in our church. Lord, we don't always understand why uh, one house burns and another doesn't, but we trust you and that you are good and faithful in all, in all things and that you desire all of our good and that even when tragedy strikes, you can turn that into something beautiful. And that when blessing comes, Lord, if we give you all the praise and the glory, then you will turn that into something good too. So we thank you for that. We thank you for this morning. And we thank you for just the privilege it is to gather with, um, with the body of Christ and worship you together. Proclaim your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 6, we'll start with verse 9 this morning. Not chapter nine, six. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem... Ham and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, Make rooms in the ark and cover it an inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. In its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark and to, to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, 
of the birds according to their kinds and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Now, last week, I, I asked you guys to, uh, to, to, to kind of forget the New Testament. I said that, you know, uh, that, that we, there's value in coming to Genesis and to the Old Testament just as it comes to us, like to read it in the narrative, right? And to not allow the New Testament kind of, I know what, how the end of the book, you know, reads, right? To not allow that to influence sometimes our perceptions as we're reading through it. That's a good, I think, practice to do on occasion, just to kind of get into that feeling of those who are in the story, in the narrative. What is happening? How are they feeling? However, this week, I want to ask you to not forget the New Testament, but instead remember the New Testament and bring it into this story. Because through the New Testament, we can see really what's going on here so much more than God just saving Noah and his family. You see, in this story, we see for the first time in Scripture, God's redemptive work. And it's an understanding that we have of redemption only because of what happens in the New Testament. You see, the redemption story starts here in essence with Noah, but then it continues. And six chapters later, later with Abraham. And then from there, you could say Joseph, right? I mean, how he kind of saved God's people from the famine. And then, of course, to Moses, redemptive work through Moses. And then Elijah, David, of course, ultimately culminating in Jesus the, the redemption that was the final redemption, because the final redemption is the one that stuck. It's the one that's for all eternity. It's Jesus' death and resurrection that redeemed all men for all time. And so I ask this morning that you remember now the New Testament, and let's allow that to inform our understanding of Genesis chapter 6. Noah here is an example for us of actually of faith, which is interesting. Again, New Testament, how do we understand that? What is faith? What is he talking about here? We have so little information to go on. Yet we see in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, this great chapter of faith, which we read the first three verses of earlier. In verse 7, it says, By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So we see that Noah here is an example of faith, according to the New Testament. Man who didn't, had never seen a raindrop potentially in his life. And yet God says, I'm going to bring rain. A man who had no clear understanding of what the future held. 
Did he ever build an ark before? Did he even know what an ark was? He certainly didn't know how to build it, yet God seems to instruct him, and he follows those instructions. Noah is an example of faith, but he's also an example of grace. He's an example of a man who wasn't righteous under his own power. He's a man who was righteous because of the amazing grace of God. See, Noah didn't earn his spot walking alongside God. No, Jesus was the one who earned that spot for him. Noah lived by faith, but the only reason he could live by faith is because he was saved by grace. You see, Noah in this time is living in a world that is totally depraved. Depraved. I can do this. Yeah, 500, 5,000, whatever. Who cares? It's a great day. <laughs> he lived in a world that was sinful. It was corrupted completely. And he too experienced that corruption of sinful nature. He too needed a savior. He too needed someone to come and save him because he again was just as evil. Now, uh, that statement I made last week, and I have heard since some people that challenged that statement because of verse 9. And so I do want to take a moment just to explain what I was saying. And I think I probably just said it poorly last week. And so that's what tweaked some people. But it's good to know you're listening. Um, first of all, I think we need to see here that verse 9 starts a new story. Genesis 6, 1 through 8 is a story about the absolute corruptness of humanity. That it's not just physically corrupt, but it's also spiritually corrupt. And at the end of that story about the ugliness and the evilness in our world, Noah finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. So I believe in that portion of the story, Noah is just as evil as the rest of the world. Now, in verse 9, the story changes. This is why it says there are, there are the generations of Noah. Why? This just doesn't make sense. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, and then all of a sudden there's a break. And, of course, in ESV, <coughs> ESV it says there's a break, but most translations actually say there's a break here. And then it starts, there are generations of Noah. Noah was righteous man, blameless. And so we're beginning a new narrative, a new story that's begin, begun, beginning to be told here. We know it's a new story as well because later then God starts to talk about the corruptness of humanity again. So he's repeating himself. Why is he repeating himself? Because it's a new story. And so what I think is happening here is Noah, actually like all of us, are sinful. We all have been totally corrupted by sin. And in verse, in verse 8, Noah is yet to be saved. He is just like the rest of us. But God, he found favor with God. And the word favor actually in Hebrew means grace. So he found grace in the eyes of God. And so God had grace and mercy on Noah. And Noah responded to that grace and mercy by bowing his knee to Jesus, humbling himself, admitting his sin, which leads into this story here of the fact that we can see that Noah was indeed saved by grace. 
All of us are sinners, Romans 3.23 tells us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, even Noah, and he recognized that. Indeed, the only thing that sets us as those who are saved apart from those who are not saved is simply the fact that we've chosen to humble ourselves and repent of our sin. And so we see Noah do that. He chooses to admit and to confess and to turn from his sin. And when he does that, then God begins to do a work in him. The amazing thing about God's grace is that we don't have to clean ourselves up before we receive it. Amen. We, we don't have to, you know, figure it out first. It's not about recognizing what Jesus has done for us, and then we've got to somehow, okay, well, Jesus did this amazing thing for me, so that means, boy, I better start doing some really good things for him so that he'll accept me, so he'll allow me to be in his kingdom. No, that's the exact opposite. Matter of fact, if we continue to act with that kind of mindset, we will continue to be far from God. What allows us to experience and enjoy that grace is what Noah did, to bow our knee, to God as Lord, to Jesus as Lord, to surrender, to admit, yes, I am corrupt. And matter of fact, there's nothing I can do to earn your salvation, to earn grace. There's nothing I can ever do to pay you back. There's nothing I can do to make this a reality. I can't, I can't get it. And so we not only receive it by grace, but we also believe in that grace. We believe that not only do we need it, but that we're going to use it. That we're going to live our lives like that. Right? That we are going to continue to live our life with the idea that grace is why I'm here. Grace is the reason that I can enjoy any kind of blessing in this world. It's all because of God's grace. I think so, so often we, especially in North America, North American Christians in the 21st century, we can come to faith, and then once we're in faith and we've received that by grace, right, then we begin to think that, okay, now I've got this, God. I can do it on my own. And we think that we can somehow kind of earn that pleasure of God. We can earn that favor of God. I just do all these great things, then God's going to notice me, and then he's going to be really happy with me. He's going to love me even more. He can't love us anymore. We have to continue to keep that in mind, that we are continually wrestling with sin, that sin continues to, to corrupt us. And any kind of good thing that we do, any kind of righteousness that we're able to actually live out is all because of God's grace. Now, we have a role to play in that, but again, the role is always humility. The role is always surrender. So we see that Noah receives God's grace as well. You know what's interesting about the story of the flood? You know, Noah is this kind of, you know, great character in Scripture. But unlike all the other great characters in Scripture, it seems, especially in the Old Testament, you know, Noah doesn't say a word until after the flood when he curses his grandson and blesses his other two sons. 
That is the only thing that Noah is quoted as saying in Scripture. Isn't that interesting? Cain. I mean, bad Cain in chapter 4 gets quite a bit of quotes, right? He's kind of talking back and forth with God. Why is there no narrative of that? Why is there? I don't know. I just think it's interesting. And I think for me, that points to the fact that this story is not about Noah. It's about God. It's about God's faithfulness, not Noah's greatness. How do we respond to God's amazing grace? Humility and worship. Right? Worship is about respecting and honoring and praising God for what he's done. We don't get the credit. Romans 12.1 is a great passage. In view of God's mercies... Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, which is holy and pleasing to God and is your spiritual act of worship. Doesn't that seem weird, right? You've got all of this like offering your life and sacrifice, all this kind of stuff. And then you got, the, I mean, sacrifice and worship makes sense. But oftentimes we think about, oh, okay, I'm going to, you know, do everything for Jesus. I'm, everything's about God. I'm going to do everything, everything. You know, there's this action, this work. And then it ends with work. Now, it's about worship. It's, we... We honor him. We give him the respect. We give him the, the praise. He's the one that's the focal point of our life. Anytime someone starts to praise us, we should be going, that's God. That's God. That's God. That's God. That's God. Don't worship me. Don't thank me. Let's thank God for what he has done. I just got to happen to be an innocent bystander in this whole thing. Surrendering and living our life for God not for God, excuse me, and this is key, surrendering and living our life with God. Too many of us live our life for God, but we need to live with him, worship with him. Okay, so we can see that Noah was saved by grace. Now, I got to admit, I, you're, not, you're not seeing this in the narrative, this grace piece. Right? There's no description here of, Mo, of Noah bowing his knee to Jesus as Lord. Right? There's none of that in this description. And so that's why I say we've got to grab New Testament and bring that in here because this is what happened. At some point, we don't know when, at some point Noah did bow his knee. At some point, Noah admitted his own sin and repented of that sin. At some point, he accepted the amazing grace of God that it couldn't be earned, that it was truly grace, and then turned his life and said, I am going to worship you with everything I do. So we don't see that narrative there, but we get that from the New Testament. And then we move into the next piece, which is a little bit in here, and we will kind of describe it, which is that fact that after he had received salvation by grace, then he lived out of that by faith. Living by faith, is, this, is a, this is a battleground, I think, to some extent in our, our day. Sanctification, how do we live this out? What does it look like to be a Christian? How do we do that? You know, how, how do we look, what's this look like? And I don't want to get into all the gory details of that, but I do think it comes down to a couple of things. First of all, I think we have to come to the point where we recognize that God is at work. 
I think that's part of the salvation. Salvation by grace, okay, so God has saved me. And so then what do I do? How do I come out of that? Well, that, you know, do I just like sit around? Like, okay, I'm just going to sit and I'm just going to, you know, worship in my little closet and pray in my closet 24-7? Is that the life? No. The idea is we do that. Yeah, that's part of it. But the bigger picture is that God's at work. He just saved me. He just worked to get me into his kingdom. He just pursued me and showed me that he loved me. He just, you know, showed that he sacrificed his son for me. So now I understand that. So what do I, so God's at work. And so I think part of our living by faith is the recognition that God is moving in our, in our world. You know, think about, think about Noah, right? He's the only one righteous, him and his family, right? The only ones that get saved right? Everyone else is destroyed. There's an assumption, certainly, that, you know, that Noah was letting people know, hey, I'm building this ark because, well, God's going to wipe everything out. You know, why all these animals showing up and going, well, that's because God's going to wipe everything out, right? Like, so you can assume that Noah's, you know, probably preaching this gospel message, right? That he's telling people, hey, you know, you you might want to, you know, change things, but no one does. No one gets saved in this, it seems. It's, It's only Noah, But Noah, even though the world is totally depraved around him, even though there's no one righteous around him, even though he's the only one walking with God, he believed that God was up to something, that God was at work. How are you at believing that God is up to something today? The world is fallen around us. It seems to get worse and worse every week, whether it be fires or whether it be, you know, pandemic or whether it be politics or whether it be whatever. Everything is getting worse and worse. The divisions seem to be getting stronger and stronger and further and further apart. The hatred is rising. The tensions are rising. Everything is changing over and over again. And so do you see God at work? Or is your perception, well, you know what, Uh, whatever, I'm just staying out of it. Nope, I'm just going to go in my closet. I'm going to get down on my knees and just me and Jesus, as long as we got this, I can handle it, right? But part of living by faith is recognizing that God is at work. Can you see it? Can we see it? In order to know that God's at work, we need to look and we need to listen. John 5, 17 tells us that God is always at work and Jesus is too. We need to look and listen. What do you see God doing? Are you looking for what God is doing? Are you looking around? I know for me over the last year and a half, I feel like this message is basically what God has been giving me over and over again. Tell the people I'm at work. Tell everybody I'm at work. Tell them, help them to see where I'm working. Help them to know that I'm working. Help them to know that I'm building my church. I'm calling people to myself. There's good things that are happening. Even though the world is falling apart, I'm doing something. Keep working on the ark. Keep pounding in those nails. Keep getting that, you know, you know, you know let's keep continuing to work, do the work. So what do you see God doing? And what are you hearing God say? One thing that is true about the Noah story and the flood story is that God does a lot of talking. He starts here with giving instructions to Noah what to do and what's coming. But he also makes these covenants right with him. We'll get into the covenants later. 
Are you listening for God's voice? So it's not just knowing and recognizing God's at work around us, but what is he calling you to do? What is he calling you into? I love Henry Blackaby uh, in his book, Experiencing God. I know it's a little bit old school now. It's, I don't know, what, 30 years old now? Maybe, I don't know. But um, Henry Blackaby in his, in his book, Experiencing God, I love what he describes about how, what it got, how do we know what God is doing? How do we see his work? And he just basically says, if you see someone being drawn to Jesus, asking questions about Jesus, then you know God's at work. If you know and see someone who is, you know, experiencing love or asking for love or giving love, you know God's at work. That it's simple. God is calling people to himself. That's Jesus' main, that's main, his main task. And he continues to do that. So are you aware? But more than that, the next step is what are you doing about it? <laughs> are you aware of what he's doing? Are you hearing what he's saying? But are you being obedient? Are you following him? Noah built the ark. He didn't just see, oh my gosh, total depravity. This is nasty and ugly. Here, oh, I'm going to wipe out everything. Oh, you should build an ark. And then he did it. He didn't just stop there. He didn't just hear the instructions. <laughs> ark, what are you talking about, God? That's crazy. I'm not making an ark. Like, I'm already, like, most people don't like me anyway, right? I mean, so, like, why don't we just heap on some more, right? Oh, look at Noah. He's all walking with God. <laughs> we have to accept that God is sovereign and that he's good. Living by faith is accepting that we have a good Savior, that he has good plans for us. And when he reveals what he's doing around us and when he speaks to us and tells us what to do, that those are good things he's calling us into. We doubt so often, you know, because we see things from our world, right? We, God calls us to something that's hard or a little bit uncomfortable. You know, Panama, right? I mean, these kind of things you go, wow, what do I do with that, right? And it feels a little uncomfortable. And we just kind of doubt like, oh, like somehow God's, you know, planning our demise, do we really believe that about God? We have to trust that he's sovereign, he's in control, and that he's good, that he's calling us into good things. I don't know about others, but I think every time that I have followed God's promptings and did what he told me to do, it may have been hard, but in the end, I was like, wow, that was good. And I will say this, what makes the hard things endurable is that God's called you to it. It's kind of nice to have somebody to blame it on. All right, God, <laughs> you know, everything's going really south right now. Not my fault. You told me to come here, right? So this is all on you, okay? Right? I mean, it's nice to know. But really, right? When you know that God's called you into it, even if it gets really ugly and hard, Okay. If you trust that he's good. If you trust. Believe it. And live it. And we see Moses, or Moses, Noah do that here. Noah trusts. He believes that God is good. He believes that God has called him to this. And so he steps into it. He builds the ark. Noah did all that God instructed him. 
You know, I, I was reminded of this story uh, yesterday that I think kind of relates to this, you know, because, you know, we're just finite beings and we can't see the whole landscape, right? We can just see what's in our world. But God has, you know, the bird's eye view, like he sees the whole thing. And so I was reminded of this as kind of an illustration. So uh, in Richland, where I, I came from, uh, there's a, a nuclear power plant. And uh, before the nuclear power plant that's there now was there before there was a, uh, a, a power plant that developed, you know, plutonium to uh, destroy things. And so it's called uh, the Reactor B, and they have a uh, Reactor B tour, okay? Because it's actually the very first working nuclear reactor in the world, okay? Now, it doesn't, they don't use it anymore, and it's, you know, obviously, so, but you can do tours. And the interesting thing that I, and it's just a fascinating tour anyway, just to go through what happened and how they did this and all that came from it. Uh, really amazing, you know, human ingenuity and how they were able to do this. But the thing that's fascinating about this story is that this was so top secret that they brought in like 2,000 people, electricians, welders, concrete folks, I mean, all kinds of different fields, the trade fields, you know, brought in about 2,000 people to start building this reactor. And not one of those 2,000 people knew what they were building. The only ones who knew were the top of the brass, you know, engineers who were, you know, making the plans, but then they would pass it down and they'd just get pieces. This is what you need to know, build this. Why am I building this? Doesn't matter, just build this, right? So 2,000 people all working on a project and none of them know why, what, it, what they're building. Now, that is, I think, oftentimes us. We don't know what we're building. We don't know what God is doing with this. We don't know what he's gonna do with our life or how he's gonna use our life or, or what the plans are. This pandemic, I don't understand it, right? I, I don't understand the tensions. I don't understand the divisions. I don't know what God's doing right now. But God gives me enough to know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. But there's one big difference between what we're doing and what Hanford was doing. Hanford was building something to destroy. God is building something to save. That's what we're doing. God is wanting to save as many people as possible from eternal death and destruction. We those who have already been saved, we get the privilege of working with Jesus to save others. But are we seeing, are we listening, and are we obeying? What kind of makes this all worth it in the end is the fact that we have a God who is faithful. He's never going to lead us into destruction. He loves us. Jeremiah 29, 11, right? For I know the plans for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. We have a God who truly loves us and wants what's best for us. And again, when we willingly step out of our comfort zones to do the things that God is calling us into, we will get to experience that full breadth. We'll get to enjoy that true love, and, and he will be faithful to show that. 
We have a God who is still serving us. Philippians 2, 5 and 8, 5 through 8 talks about how Jesus came, took on flesh, and became a servant. He is still serving us. He, it's not just like, it's not just for the greater good. Right? Human kind of human mindset is what, let's do what's best for the greater good. So if that means that indiv- a few individuals need to give their lives in order to, you know, for the greater good, then, well, that's okay. We'll just sacrifice them. That's human thinking. God thinking is never that way. It's always both individual and corporate. He is seeking to serve you and bless you and love you as well. That, this is amazing. Humanity can't conceive this, right? We can't get our minds around this because it's impossible in our perspective. But in God's perspective, he does the impossible. He is able to somehow, with all the different personalities, all the different people, all the billions of people in the world, he's able to bless every one of them and call them to something good as well as bless those around them. He's always near us. He wants us to know him. Psalm 145, 18, like he is always near us. He wants us to interact with him. He's always there. No matter what's going on in your life, he is there. He's with you. He always empowers us. He's always empowering us to do what he calls us to. This is why the question is never, can I do it? Right? When God calls and he says, do this, go there, say this. We don't have to ask the question, well, wait a second, God, I can't do that. Like, yeah, he knows that already. <laughs> but he's going to empower you. He's going to give you what you need. He's going to give you the courage in the moment. He's going to give you the strength. He's going to, whatever that gift that you need in the moment, he's going to be there. The question is, are you going to get to enjoy that empowerment? Or are you going to let your own failures and weaknesses cause you to, to miss out on what God wants to do in and through you. He always empowers us, but he also pro- always protects us. John 10, our lives are safe and secure in his hand. It's, we're, we're secure. We don't have to worry about tomorrow. We don't have to worry about life. We don't have to worry about death. We don't have to worry about inter- eternity. It's taken care of. Once we've bowed our knee to Jesus, accepted the amazing grace of God, once we've repented of our sin sin and believed that it's all about him, then we can live by faith every day because we know that our lives are totally safe and secure. You know, there's a practice in Scripture that that, you know, I think sometimes maybe we, we, we don't recognize or we don't use, or maybe we do. Maybe some of you do this, and I hope you do. There's a practice in Scripture where biblical characters, these different people throughout history, that in times of struggle, what do they do? In times in their life where they're trying to figure out what's going on or how to go or how to do something, right? They so often will look back at what God has done before. And they begin to name off the different amazing people that God has worked through. Not because the people were amazing, but because God was amazing. So they start talking about Noah. They start talking about Moses. They start talking about Abraham, right? They start talking about these individuals, right? You know, and it's the idea is that we can do it too, right? Like, it's amazing to think, right? Sometimes we go, okay, uh, okay, God wants me to, you know, move to 
Panama. Like, that's just crazy. There's no way. God wants me to, 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 to leave my family and move to California. Who wants to do that? <laughs> Not me, right? And God wants, you know, he, so he asked us, I remember he asked me one time to take my youth group down to the river and tell them to jump in the river. But it was a long story. But, and I'm like, well, that's just, that's weird, right? I, it, one time God told me to change seats with a girl. I mean, that's just, and I think I've told that story before, but that's, that's just dumb, right? What do you, all these things, right? That we go, nah, it doesn't make sense. God's not going to use that. God can't do that. That's not going to happen. Wait a second. Noah. What did Noah, what happened with Noah? God told him to build an ark and he did. And look what happened. God was faithful, right? Look, look at, look at Abraham. God told him to leave his people and he's going to bless the whole world through him. Now, Abraham, like he didn't even see it in his lifetime, but now we know, right? New Testament. We love God. Oh my gosh. God did bless the whole world through Abraham. Moses. Moses. <laughs> he, 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 no way he's going to lead these people in the, in the desert for 40 years. No way that's going to work. Right? And so we call on these names, and when we listen to these stories in the Old Testament, Noah, Abram, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Elijah, Daniel, Rakshak, and Benny, these, I mean, these, are amazing, <laughs> these are amazing stories. And we see what God called them to and how God was faithful. Why do we even second guess? Church, let's, if, if you're second-guessing God, if you're, if you're hesitant, let me just encourage you. Read these stories again. God will do it. God can do it. God loves you. He's going to bless you, and he's going to bless others through you. He is faithful. He is true. He is worth it. All right, worship team, why don't you come up? Perfect timing. Do you feel like God can and does use you? Maybe the first question is the first, you know, that's the important. Do you believe God can use you? Yes. Right? I, I find too many, I think, Christians in our world today that don't even think that God can use them. No, I'm just too messed up. I mean, I'm glad that he's accepted me, but there's nothing I can do. Do you believe God can use you? Again, it's the grace of God. It's not because you're great that he can use you. It's because he's great. Does he use you? Where are you seeing that? Think about your life. Where, is he, where have you seen him use you? What has he done? What do you see God at work doing right now? Is it just all bad? Is it all just totally depraved and there's nothing good happening? Is God not at work anywhere? What, what is he doing? I, I believe, I've said this a, a couple of times, but I believe we in America actually are on the precipice of a revival. Because of this pandemic, because of all the divisions, because of all the chaos, there is tremendous opportunity and God is at work. People are spiraling. They are looking for some foundation. They're looking to kind of understand and try to figure out what's this all about. They're looking for security. They're looking for safety. They're looking for eternity. Do we see it? Or are we in our closets just trying to survive the day? Now, I understand sometimes it's difficult. 
but can we somehow recognize what God is doing and hear what God's calling us to? We've got Jesus, and they don't. Church, don't hold that secret any longer. You don't have to be bold in your own strength. It's always his strength. Open your mouth. See what happens. For me, that's usually the wrong thing. Just close your mouth. Church, stand with me as I close. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your amazing goodness to us. And we thank you for the stories in Scripture that reveal to us not just history, but who you are. We thank you that you are a God who redeems. Lord, it seems right after the fall, you begin to put your plans in place and reveal those plans to us of how you are going to save us. And so we thank you for that, and we thank you for Noah, who gives us the example of what it looks like to live a life that's surrendered to you. The Lord, yes, you did see him. You saw him as righteous, but not because of his own righteousness, but because of your amazing grace. And that because he was willing and open to humbly repent of his sin, to believe that you were good, and to follow your lead. Lord, you saved not just him and his family, but all of us. So Lord, we thank you for that reality and that truth. Lord, help us to learn from that, that we too would be humble and repent of our sin, and that we would believe that you are good, and that we would follow you wherever you lead. First John chapter 4, 7 and following, excuse me, 13 and following. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because he is so, also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless. Have a great week, church.